Father, as we now turn our attention to your word, may we worship you by giving our hearts, our ears to your life-giving word that will set us free from our errors, from our mistakes, from our wrong thinkings, that you would correct us, revive our souls, and bring us back to you. So we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are resuming our study of 1 Corinthians. And it has been over a month uh, since we last looked at it. So we will briefly review. I mean, yeah, last week, uh, Pastor Jay definitely used 1 Corinthians chapter 15, talking about the resurrection. But we've been going through, and now we are at chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. But so just, just to briefly recap, Paul founded the Corinthian church uh, on his second uh, missionary journey. And uh, he stayed there for about a year and a half, teaching them and just preaching the gospel to them leading them. And uh, uh, Corinth was a bustling uh, Greek city where commerce was humming and people were interested in Greek philosophy. And they placed a high premium on wisdom. Anything that sounded wise, wisdom, oratory, uh, wise talks, those things they really valued highly. It was also a center for open and unbridled immorality. There were many temples dedicated to, Greek, uh, to the gods, and there were religious prostitution was uh, rampant. And even though the Corinthian church was richly gifted in many spiritual things, it was sorely tempted by this worldly wisdom and the wickedness of the city itself. So as you can imagine, it had many problems. And Paul's purpose for writing was to instruct and restore the church in its areas of issues and correct erroneous practices, such as divisions, immorality, litigation in the pagan court, abuse of the Lord's Supper, the false teaching on resurrection, and a slew of other issues. And the first issue that Paul deals with is in the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians is the divisions in the church, which led to contentions. So even at the Lord's table, I mean, if you think about it, the Lord's table, it signifies our union with Christ and how we are brothers and sisters in Christ. It is to remind ourselves and to reaffirm our oneness, union with Christ and with one another as the body of Christ. So even at the Lord's Supper, in, in, in the communion, people were fighting, they were arguing. Can you imagine? That's what was going on in the Corinthian church. And so they were, and they were even divided over who they would follow, who they would consider as leaders. Some people said, I follow Paul. Some others, Peter, Apollos, and others. Their eyes were on men rather than on Christ, trusting in men's wisdom over the wisdom of God revealed in Christ Jesus. So he emphasizes the meaning of the gospel, and the, and the sufficiency of Christ. He asserts that Christ is our redemption. He is our righteousness. He is our wisdom. He is our all. So he wants to first go back to the nature and the meaning of the gospel. So he goes through that here in the first few chapters of this book. And in chapters 3 and 4, 
Paul deals with the ministry of the gospel and tells us what a minister of the gospel is and does and how the church should look upon him and his work. The background is, even though Paul was the founding pastor, even though a lot of people were led to Christ through his teaching ministry, many pe- some, people, some of them didn't really respect Paul. After his departure, they kind of said, well, you know, forget him, he left us. So he wanted to first reestablish his authority and also teach them about the, the ministry, of what, that, what the ministry of the gospel is, and how they should regard the minister of the gospel. He goes on to say that he is a servant of Christ, a minister of the gospel, a pastor is a servant of Christ, sowing the seed of the gospel, and he is also a builder of God's temple. He is also a steward of God's wealth. It doesn't, uh, he doesn't own anything, but he's a steward of God's wealth. His responsibility is to be faithful to God and his word. That he must uh, handle the truth with integrity and with care, making sure the church follows and remains in the word. And for me, too, uh, you know, when I see people at Embrace um, remaining in the word and continuing to walk with him, it just gives me so much encouragement. When I see people participating in the Tuesday night prayer meetings, when I see people continuing to walk with the Lord and keeping each other accountable through Friday night small groups, it's very encouraging. When I see people living a, a gospel-centered life, that's really, uh, very encouraging. You know, I used to think that um, only the people who showed like, visible fervency and uh, excitement were the ones who hungered and they were the ones who were serious about God. You know, those people who would like pray out loud or they were very like, you could see like when they were praising God or something that you could see that they were really into it. And so I felt that those are the type of people that were really set on fire for the Lord. But over the years, that the Lord has taught me that it's not the demonstrable, like outward showing of the people that really just reveals what's really in their hearts. But it is really their life, their heart's disposition and their yearnings, that, that, that their desire to uh, live for God in their daily lives, even in their daily grind. And I've come to realize that we have, some of us here, and many of us here, really desire that, though it may, not be, it may not seem on the outside. And that's a very encouraging thing. And that is what uh, the pastors are here to do, to really encourage and equip the people. So, Paul has been describing what a pastor is and does a servant and a slave who rose in the lowest level of a boat, a slave. He's a builder, he's a steward. And in today's text, he says a pastor, the pastor is a spiritual father. The pastor is a spiritual father. Thus, today's sermon text, uh, the title, the pastor as a spiritual father. We can see here that throughout this book, that Paul was very concerned with the problems in the Corinthian church. He gets very personal with them in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And it really reveals a true shepherd's heart, true pastor's heart. He's not writing an academic paper or a theological debate notes. He's genuinely concerned about the spiritual well-being 
of the church as a father to his children. Even in this passage that we just, we just read in verse 14, he gets very like personal. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. And in verse 21, he says, what do, uh, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? He's really being very personal in a lot of, uh, a lot of his uh, letters they tend to really focus on theological notes and talks about like the deep truths. But here in 1 Corinthians, he really reveals his emotions. Should I come to you in this way or that way? The context here is that the Corinthians boasted of their allegiance to Apollos, Peter, and others with the implication that they had no need for Paul. Though he was the founding pastor of the church, they were basically saying, who's Paul? He's nobody. I mean, who does he think he is? Forget about him, right? Let's move on. Let's follow some other leaders. Paul is nobody. He's He's not all that. So as people, some other people have been saying that and disregarding him, he reminds them through the letter, that his, father, that his fatherly relationship, relation to them is unique, that they have really no good reason to attack him. And as you read in chapter 4, the, the language seems a little harsh, but the seemingly harsh language wasn't intended to humiliate them, but to warn them, to admonish them, and to raise awareness to the truth. That's why he says in verse 14, that I'm not write, uh, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you, to warn you as my beloved children. That is his intention, true intention. You know, just as a wise father would employ both tough love and tender love when dealing with his children, Paul balances the tone of his writing between some tough talk and some tender way of talking and dealing, or just a tender way of talking to the church of, at, at Corinth. So what does it mean to be a spiritual father? It certainly does not mean to be a dictator. There are many, many cases of spiritual and emotional and even sexual abuse by powerful leaders and powerful, powerful churches. Uh, the, the pastor, powerful pastors in a lot of churches. I can just name some of them and you may recognize right away some of the mega church pastors who started from scratch and just raised some churches to such a big mega church status. And they are the, pretty much the absolute gods. They have absolute power over people. That there are numerous pastors who did some really just abused his congregation, but because he was so powerful, he wielded so much like power that the people couldn't really just do much, or they wouldn't even just, even if they would try to have, you know, just have independent studies or investigation into the allegations, you know, the pastors would firmly deny it, and then so the investigation just goes away, or they would deny it till the end, and in the end, these high-profile pastors would have to step down from ministries. It's because they were really 
abusing their power. They say, hey, I'm the spiritual father, so you do what I say. So what does it mean to be a spiritual father? The first thing is that spiritual father leads the church to Christ through the gospel and his life. The spiritual father leads the church to Christ through the gospel and through his life. Paul had been their spiritual father in that he gave them the gospel and helped them, helped to lead them to Christ. When there was a whole lot of people really did not, who did not know the gospel and who did not know who Christ was, Paul came and introduced Christ to the people at Corinth. And some of them came to believe. So basically, he showed them Christ, led them to Christ, many of them. There are many pastors and leaders who lead their flock to themselves, not Christ. They make sure that people in their church are so dependent on them that they cannot do much outside of their sphere of influence. And some, they even have their uh, semblance, uh, they're almost like cult following. I know a couple people from this uh, local local church where they were saying that basically they had to be even, they had to get approval to attend their relative's wedding. They had to get the the pastor's approval to attend because the the, the relatives that were getting married, they were not part of the church. So they said, no, no, you have to make sure that you get my approval. I mean, what is that? So basically, the small group, the people outside of their small groups, they were not even allowed to talk to. Such a control, controlling thing. Claiming that the pastor himself was their father. They don't really lead their flock to Christ but to themselves. They are control freaks, and every action and decision has to be approved by them. But not the genuine spiritual fathers. They point and lead the church to Christ, not to themselves. If any pastor or leader does not lead you to Christ, when you are looking for direction, when you are looking for guidance, some counseling, if he doesn't do that, If he doesn't lead you to Christ, he's not a spiritual father to you. Do not be deceived. Some celebrity pastors may have winsome character, likable personality, or some charisma. But if they do not preach the gospel and lead you to Christ, then they are not your spiritual father, however influential they may be to you. They may focus on spiritual gifts and other things, But if they, in the end, if they do not lead you to Christ and the gospel, then they are not your spiritual fathers. You know, if you hear people say, man, I want to be like the pastor because he's so good and he's so powerful when he speaks. If that's the only thing that you hear, then you have a reason to be concerned because that person is enamored with that pastor and that's it. They may be their their pastor's fans, but they may not be the disciples of Christ. It means that the pastor has been leading people to themselves. They are showing you themselves, not Christ. You gotta hear people, you gotta have your people, you gotta hear your people say that I want to know and I want to love Christ more. I really want to understand the gospel, gospel more. 
If you hear that from your church people, then you are doing something right. You know, if, uh, you know, even in Embrace, if I only hear people say, man, I want to be just like Pastor Jay. You know, he's, um, he's the man. I mean, he's smart. He's funny. He works hard. I mean, he's so endearing. I want to be just like Pastor Jay. And if that's the only thing that we hear from you, then I would say that's not really much of a compliment. It's not a commendation. We want to hear people say, man, I want to know Christ. You know, before I didn't really know, understand the gospel, but now I understand the gospel more clearly. I really truly uh, espouse it. I really embrace it with all my heart. And I want to know Christ. I want to love, uh, love him. I want to walk with him. I want to know the word. I want to really stake my life on the word of God. If we hear that, and if that really shows in your life, not only talk, talking, but in your life, that would be, the, the fruit of the ministry. Pastors must point, point to and lead people to Christ. John the Baptist, at the height of his ministry, when people were following, man, could this be the Christ? I mean, this guy, John the Baptist, wherever he went and just preached the message of repentance, people were just flocking to him to be baptized. So at the height of his ministry, and then he encounters Jesus. And he says, he points to him, look, the Lamb of God who bears the sin of the world. I must decrease, but he must increase. So at the height of ministry, when everybody was following and clamoring around him, John the Baptist pointed to Christ and said, no, 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 don't look at me. Look to Christ. I have to decrease. Whatever that I'm doing, in the end, I have to decrease. Less and, less and less of me, but more and more of Christ. Look to him. Turn to him, not to me. He did something right. And that was the, the ministry of John the Baptist. He understood the calling in his life. And if a pastor draws attention to himself, that he's not doing his job, he's not being faithful to his calling. Not only does the pastor lead people to Christ through the preaching of the gospel, but he also ought to lead them by his lifestyle. It's not just simply preaching the gospel and leading them to Christ, but also through his lifestyle. Verse 16 and 17, it says, I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. To remind you of my ways. Be imitators of me. Paul says teaching and preaching ministry of gospel is absolutely essential. But also be imitators of me. Remind, I'm going to remind you. Just remind me. Just think of my way of life before God before Christ. You know, in the ancient world, a father regularly taught his sons a trade by modeling it as they studied under him as apprentices. Luke Skywalker was an apprentice of the Master Yoda, and Jesus was a carpenter. Okay, that was, I don't know where that came from, but anyways, in the ancient world, Jesus was a carpenter by trade because Joseph, his father, was a carpenter. That's how they would just, you know, so they apprentice as a young, as a the child, as children, they would just look at and pick up the trade 
by looking at and following the life and the example of their fathers. As a spiritual father to them, Paul calls on the Corinthians to emulate him as he himself is following Christ. His conduct, speech, intention must be above reproach and exemplary. Because pastors, we pastors, engage in teaching ministry, a lot of talking is involved. We have to communicate through words. We have to teach. We have to talk. We have to give messages. We have to teach. We have to give counseling. So a lot of talking is involved. So we talk about how to really pray, talk about how just we got to read a Bible, living a holy life, let's be a witness, and all these things. The pastors, we give instructions and counsels people. The danger is that it is easy to just talk without putting it into practice. And it can easily lead to double life. And I know it well. I mean, there are times when I tell people, we need to you know, just trust God. Let's believe and trust in Him. And while I am struggling to trust God fully, I would tell and instruct, tell people, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Everything that you've got, every ounce of your being, love God. And I tell that to congregation. But I myself am struggling to do so. I'm telling others to do something that I'm not doing myself. There are times when I tell people to repent, and I don't truly repent. It's embarrassing, but, you know, Grace once told me, and he said, you know, how come you're so nice to church people but not to me? You know, the familiarity breeds contempt. So, you know, when I'm dealing with people, church people, like, oh, really? Oh, goodness. Oh, you know, how heartbreaking. Let me pray for you. You know, like, you know, I'm here for you. Just call me at any time. You know, I want to pastor you. I want to be there for you. And I would do that to the church people. It is true. But when I come home, there are times when, great, I just take her for granted. And so she just would make the remark, and I was like, oh, it was just like, it was a dagger to my heart. And I, I really had to repent. You see, pastors can talk, we, because we have to communicate through words, we talk a lot. But if our life does not follow, right, that we are not being a spiritual father to the congregation. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but anyways, uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, uh, 10, through, uh, 10 through 12, uh, it says this. Verse 10, it says, You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know, uh, uh, you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Talks about you guys have seen it. The pastors, we are not the spiritual, fa- spiritual fathers, are not to simply talk about things, how things are, but we are to show. We are to be the, yes, we are the messengers, but we have to also be the message too. Paul didn't just teach the nature of discipleship but he lived it out and says, just be imitators of me. You know, how can a pastor be considered a spiritual father if he's not, having, uh, if he's not living a life 
of integrity. A genuine and true minister of the gospel must live a godly life. There is a higher standard for the teacher of the word. The messenger has to be a message himself. So when you look at us, Pastor Jay and myself too, you, yes, you have to listen to what we say, but also exam- you know, we have to also be transparent and we have to be vulnerable uh, to other people so that they can also be, to look at our lives and to see if our life really is consistent with what we teach and what we preach. That's how you know that we are spiritual fathers. That's how we, how we know that we are true pastors. For the, word, uh, for, for the word. Now, having said that, this does not imply perfection. That doesn't mean that, you know, we are so, like, so perfect. Far from it. How to deal with his sin in repenting and seeking forgiveness is as crucial to model as virtuous behavior. If you see us falter, if you see us you know, just stumbling, then talk to us. If you see us refusing to repent of sin, then you can confront us. And of course, you have to do it in a loving way, right? Man, I've been wanting to just call you out, and so this is my opportunity. I'm just going to come at you, right? No, 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 not that way. So here, Paul says, I am a spiritual father to you. It is through his teaching ministry and also because I'm a spiritual father to you through my life that you are to model after my life. Right? And when Paul encourages them to be imitators of him, he does not mean that they should imitate the way he dressed, walked, or taught, taught even taught. I know of uh, some of the, the seminarians that I used to know. There was this one uh, pastor that you know, a lot of people tried to, because they were, you know, he, was, he, was, he had a you know, powerful ministry. So a lot of people would basically, they wanted to be his clones, right? They were like, the way he talked, like the gestures, the way he uh, carried himself, they would just follow all these things. That's not what it means by being imitators of the pastor. What Paul means is to be Christ-like, just as Paul himself is following Christ, imitate that desire and the drive and the lifestyle, Christ-likeness. And also, when he says, be imitators of me, he also means to bear the disgrace and the public contempt for the sake of the gospel. Paul, throughout his life, because for the sake of the gospel, he was humiliated, he was flogged, he was imprisoned, he was uh, subject, you know, the, the, sub, you know, the object of ridicule and persecution he bore a lot of disgrace and contempt from people. He suffered much because of the gospel. And he's saying, be imitators of me. It means not only just Christ-like in his character, but also be willing to bear your own cross daily and endure the hardship. When you go through suffering, not just the suffering in the sense of because of your own stupidity, right? You know, just you do something, you know, wrong. But for the sake of the gospel, if you suffer, then endure the hardship. And the pastor needs to lead the way. Spiritual father needs to show people their way of life, not just talk. 
So that's what it means to be the spiritual father. Lead people to Christ and also show them, show them with their life. And the second and the last point is spiritual father. What does it mean? It means that spiritual father does what is necessary, even though it may not be enjoyable. Spiritual father does what is necessary, even though it may not be enjoyable. Certainly, it grieved Paul, Paul's heart, to write write his letter this way to his spiritual children. But he had to be faithful to the Lord first. It means spiritual fathers must warn and discipline God's people in love. And it gives me and Pastor Jay no pleasure to correct, rebuke people, or even discipline the members. It really doesn't. It gives us no joy. But if it has to be done to steer you away from the ungodly and destructive path that you may be on, then then we will do it. Not because we want to, but for your sake. We will have to counsel you, implore you, pray for you, and discipline you if it comes to that. That's what it means to be a spiritual father, not to be a dictator. You know, for me personally, I really have a strong desire to be liked by people. Not so much Pastor Jay, but for me, <laughs> I really want people to like me. I want people to love me. I want people to love me. You name it. I just want it all. I mean, I'm a needy guy. I want people to really like me. And my natural instinct is to avoid conflict. I mean, ask Grace. She will tell you all about this. I hate stirring the pot. But doing what is necessary, even though it is hard, for the sake of the spiritual well-being of the church, then that is what a pastor is called to do. You know, pastors are often misunderstood and criticized. You know, whatever the direction that pastors may take, those who do not agree with that decision will take issues with them. Many, many, many years ago, when I was a youth pastor at a church, there were some kids who that a couple of the kids became gang members, or like they were somehow, you know, just sucked into that, to that thing. And um, but you know, they are they're still under my care. So I would just pray for them. I would just try to just uh, teach them and just spend time with them and things. And then some of the the parents in the, in the of the youth group found out that couple kids actually became, were. They, they joined the gang, they freaked out and said, they just came to me, Pastor Wujin, what are we going to do with these kids? Can you, not, can you just kind of somehow, what do we, can, can you just tell them not to come to church? I am so afraid. They were saying, they were so afraid of their kids being influenced by them that they basically said, let's not just bring them to church. Can you just somehow, you know, just let them not come to church? I mean, you cannot do that. And so I, I said, you know, I respectfully just disagreed. If the kids who are just wandering, who are struggling, who are lost, if the church doesn't embrace and bring them in to just teach them about the truth of God, where can they turn to? So my philosophy was that we have to still hold on to them and minister to them, you know, just uh, correct them and then just show love to them, in some, in show them the truth so that they will just turn back and repent and come back to the Lord. But some of the parents, 
I understand they were concerned that my kid, my you know, angel, I don't, I don't want my son and my daughter to be influenced by these bad kids, right? Do something. Cut them out, right? So when I refused to do so, they were not happy with me. You see, whatever the direction that we take, we will receive criticism. Some of the things that you decide, or we decide on, you may not agree with. You may not even like. But I would ask you to trust and follow us as we seek to follow Christ. We may make mistakes, but we want you to know that we are doing what we believe is God's calling for our church. The spiritual fathers, we have to do things that may not be popular or be well-received by people. It may not be enjoyable, but we have to do what is right, what God calls us to do. You know, if you have issues with us pastors, Pray for us first that we may have discernment. Maybe we are wrong. Then say, God, please open their eyes to see the reality and then talk to us instead of talking among yourselves. Man, did you, did you, did you see that Pastor Ujime? He did that. You know, what's, what's wrong with him? Do what edifies the body of Christ as we seek to build up the church together. Right. So in this passage, Paul was imploring, he was rebuking, he was trying to just teach them, admonish them. People, a pastor is your spiritual father. He's not only a servant of Christ, he's not only a builder of the the temple of God, he's not only a steward of of God's uh, wealth, but he's also a spiritual father, not to abuse the power, but We are here, the pastors are here to teach you, admonish you, and do things that may may not be really popular. But according to the scripture, according to the word of God, according to the gospel, we seek. If you see us do that, then we would ask you to follow us as people who are being led by the shepherds. And we ourselves, the pastors, need to really watch ourselves. And for me, that's one of the, the greatest challenges of, of my life and my, of, my, uh, of the ministry that I'm involved in. It's my own spiritual walk with God because I can talk about all these things to other people, but if I'm not living it out, if I'm not putting uh, what, what I preach into practice, then I'm being a fraud, right? And so that is a, is a struggle at, at times. So you got to really pray for us. And I, I was so encouraged this past Tuesday, you know, one of the people was saying, hey, we got to pray for the pastors. I'm like, thank you so much. We need prayers. So pray for us and follow us as we follow Christ. May that be our perception and the understanding of how you should look at us. Let's pray. Go before the Lord. Let's take a moment to uh, uh, think about uh, this passage and to respond. You know, how is your, what, what is your view of the pastor? Have you had a really negative experiences in the past? And has that really uh, affected the way you view pastors even now? Do you deify us? Put us on the pedestal? That we are perfect? Do you project your 
unrealistic expectations of us and then kind of criticizing us when we, make mis- uh, when we do things that you may not agree with or that you may like? Do you talk about us with other people? How do you view the pastors? We are not perfect. We stumble, we fall. At the same time, God called us to be spiritual fathers to the congregation. And so let's, let's pray to the Lord that all of us would have a right heart before God, right attitude before God. And also pray for us, pastors. We need your prayers. We are not so super-duper Christian that, that we are above the intercess, intercessions of the people. We need, desperately need your prayers because we face challenges, temptations from the enemy. So would you pray for Pastor Jay and myself? And also, if you could just pray for the church as we are going through these difficult times, that we would not only survive, but thrive as a ministry. But still, we would uh, do church, that we would be the church. So let's, let's go before, before the Lord and pray. Father, we come to you this, at this time. Lord, thank you for your grace upon us, that out of millions and billions of people, they have chosen us and have called us to be the body at this season, at this point in our lives that you have called us to be together, to form relationships, to be there for one another, to be accountable to one another, to pray for one another, to serve one another. So thank you for this privilege. And God, we pray that as a church, that we would come together as the body and also really pray for the pastors, the leaders, and uh, all the way down to every single person in the church. We need your grace. We need your spirit to touch each and every one of us. That we could truly bring you honor and glory through all that we do. Lord, we pray that we will not suffer the same errors and, and mistakes that the Corinthian church was having to have divisions in the church among the church members, among the the pastors and the the members, or even among the leaders. We pray against such such practices and uh, such trends, Lord, that we will rise above and truly become one in you, that we will seek to honor you and seek to edify the church in all that we do. So watch over us, and we do pray for those of us who are suffering. We pray for those who are, who are followed, those of us who are sick, those of us who are still looking for jobs. We have many needs. Lord, you know them all. Lord, meet us and reveal yourself to us and draw us closer to you, that for those people who are furloughed, that they will be able to find jobs or to somehow weather this 
and endure the hardship turning to you. So Lord, uh, be magnified. Allow us to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.